You're listening to the Topco Business Unusual Podcast. Now, the Business Unusual Podcast. Learn from the greatest minds in business today. Interviews hosted by Ralph Fletcher. Learn how to improve business, get tips from industry leaders, and be motivated by real-life experience. Topco. Business Unusual. So, to <laughs> welcome to the Business Unusual podcast. Today, I'm joined with a legend. I mean, an international legend, Jack Daly. So, if you haven't heard about him, which you, you must have been sleeping underneath a rock, but Jack is an in international expert on sales and management. Um, he brings 30 plus years of field proven experience. So, um, Jack's obviously run startups, six startups, Jack, and you took those to get listed on Wall Street. Um, and you've been a, a speaker for oh, 20 odd years now on the big circuit, doing hundreds of thousands of miles and traveling around the globe. You've, um, I mean, some of the, some of the things, some of the other things is that, um, you've, you've built up companies from zero to a couple of thousand salespeople. Um, you've done triathlons, marathons in every state. Um, I'm, you're married for 47 years. It's like every, every goal you could hope to achieve, you've done it. But I think that, you know, one of the things that, that you've sort of where you are now is the giving back part is the sharing the insights and how organizations can grow and how people can grow within those organizations. So welcome to the podcast. I hope I got that kind of right. I mean, wow, you, you, you not only got, got it nailed, uh, but as I was sitting here, I'm going, <laughs> my goodness, I'm already tired. Uh, <laughs> it sounded like, well, how many lives does this guy have? Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, but, but yeah, it, it, it's been a, it's been a great ride. Uh, you know, between 26 and 46 is when I built those businesses in the national firms in the U.S. And for the last 25 years, I've been traveling the globe trying to help other people grow their business and live an exceptional life, uh, which I have a lot of passion for as well. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to this podcast because I think we can uh, deal out some pearls. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, sometimes I start at the beginning. I say, you know, where did it all start? And I know for you, it was sort of at a as a young boy on the golf course, sort of, you know, people can read that part of the book. But I mean, in your mind, where, where do you feel it started? Where do you feel this sort of energy came from, this this desire to to do great work? So so I'm going to take it back even further. Okay. You, I, my anchor, truly, Ralph, is seven years old. Um, when when the other kids were out playing tag and hide and seek, I just didn't get the concept. Stand behind a tree, be quiet, and hope nobody finds you. Uh, and no one pays you for it. Like, what's up with that? Uh, so little girls were doing these uh, potholders. They were weaving these potholders and selling the moms and grandmoms. And so I said, that, that looks like an easy thing to make. So I started making them, knocking on the doors of moms and grandmoms. And they, I'd say, you know, I'm selling these. And they'd say, well, we, we already got them from Mary, Sally, and Susie. And I'm going, yeah, but you, you don't have one from the little boy. And I know that because I'm the only little boy making them. You got to have a one, if not two, a potholder <laughs> by a little boy. So you want one or two. So they all laughed and they all bought. And so I own the market and the other girls shared the market. And when you own the market, what can you charge? Anything you want. So I charged twice the price of all my competitors. And that was when the light bulb went on and said, this is fun. Selling is fun. Business is fun. Let's go have some fun. So I, 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 I've been working since I was seven years old, nonstop. I mean, and no complaints. It's been a joy. And I'm sitting here now at 73 and I'm still at it. Like, it's just fun. Full on, eh? Full on. But then you also went to the, you worked at the caddy on the, on the golf course. And it's almost like your, you know, think and grow rich sort of moment, right? Uh, for, for, for sure. Uh, I grew up in a, uh, in a very poor family, uh, five kids and, and two parents, seven people in one house with one toilet, uh, uh, cramped quarters, shared bedrooms type of thing. And yeah. I'm the oldest of five. 
And when I went out and caddied at the private country club, I recognized that uh, people were playing golf on Wednesdays and Fridays, and I thought they were work days. They were driving nice cars and living in nice homes, and we weren't doing any of that. And so I said, uh, I got to pick these guys' brains and find out how they got out of here and drove these nice cars on the weekdays and played golf. Because that's if I had a choice, I'd do that versus working six days a week like my dad. So I, I spent the summer interviewing uh, them as I walked uh, four to four and a half hours each day carrying their clubs and learned a ton about how to design your life to be successful in business and in other dimensions, which really quite frankly uh, centers around having goals. And yeah. I'm a major goal-driven guy. And I suppose you speak about that in this, in this book, right? A life by design, which is which is centered around that because the, when you ask them what it was that they had the nice cars and they had the time to play golf, then they gave you some pearls of wisdom. Yeah, you know, I I, I heard a lot of repeated things. Um, got to have goals. Uh, they they got to be in writing or they're not goals. Uh, don't pick too many. Um, uh, give some kind of a measurement as to when it's going to be completed, how will you know that you got there and share them with as many people as possible because it'll put the heat on you. Uh, to go and <laughs> keep them. Accountability is the word, right? Yeah. And, uh, people so don't like back, that one. So back then I, I picked four goals, uh, financial, uh, professional education and family. Where do I want to be in those four boxes by about the age of 30? And once I understood where I was trying to get to, then designing the path would be relatively easy. Uh, yeah. Now, it isn't easy to stay on the path, but um, you could design the path, right? Uh, so so I've been at that, uh, you know, my goal-setting process started at 13, and it's uh, been active ever since, 60 years mm. uh, in the making. So, so when I wrote uh, Jack Daly's Life by Design, in the appendix, I have all of the templates and forms for people to easily fill out the forms and design their life to be exceptional. It's amazing. It's so funny because two things sort of happened all at once. But the one is I was reading the books and and then I was looking at the insides and the, and the people who have endorsed it and it's like Jack Cranfield and you name it. Like they're all there. I'm like, oh, my word, how does he? And then um, Simon Sinek post comes up. And I think it was you and Simon and he gave the forward for your book. And then he and then I saw the other one. He's got the same forward for it's not the same forward, but he's also given a forward for that book as well. And so I, you know, I don't know how, how many people know how legendary you are because I speak to a lot of the guys in the States and you're on that circuit. I mean, I, I think sometimes you're doing 64 to 80 speeches a year. You're traveling up to two hundred thousand miles around the globe. I mean, what's the biggest audience you've spoken to? Uh, 3,500 to 4,000, something like that. Uh, and, <laughs> and, you know, you, you bring up Simon, which is an I interesting thing, because uh, just this past week, uh, we uh, we got together for dinner. Uh, I, don't know whether I saw it. I saw it. I saw it on LinkedIn. I actually liked it. I liked it. <laughs> I saw yeah. it. Uh, That's what I thought. It says, how uncanny. I'm talking to you, and there's you taking pictures, and then I see... On the on the front cover of his forward, so yeah. So, so I, I I I gotta share with you this funny story. <laughs> Watch this, Ralph. Uh, uh, Simon came to me uh, quite a while ago before he wrote "Start with Why," and he said, "Hey, um, uh, I, I think the book will be really better if you and I co-author it. Uh, you're the practical guy, and I'm the conceptual guy, and if we married the two together, I think we've got a bestseller." And I said, you know what, Simon, I'm too busy. I don't need the work. I don't need the follow-up. Uh, you know what? Go and write the book yourself. I, 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 I'm sorry. I, 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 I appreciate the invite. And this is before anybody knew Simon. And yeah. he goes and writes the bestseller. And uh, I, I now rank it in my top 10 mistakes made in my life. <laughs> <laughs> But but I've got another funny story I wanted to share as well. But it's so funny. I didn't know, but during lockdown, he actually spoke uh, on one of the virtual conferences. But he's from South Africa. His family's from here. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, it's crazy, eh? South Africans, they're not bad people. But um, 
but, sure, but this, I have a, I have an associate of mine that I'm bringing into the business, and my intention is to ultimately hand the business over to him. And he grew up in Cape Town and spent the last 12 years in London. His name is Mornay Smith. Uh, oh, wow. Mornay will be taking over here in the next uh, couple of years as I kind of uh, move into centering myself on life by design and give the uh, sales and sales management over to Mornay. For sure. So I think, you know, we we want to talk around that life by design and a lot of it's sort of mindset. But I mean, there is a, a funny story of your first paid for gig. Um, <laughs> I thought that was, it's sort of, um, it, it's so clever, I suppose. And, and it goes to that self-confidence, but it also goes to your values as well. And then it goes to your mentor, Jim, who I thought, what a cracking guy. Yeah. So J- Jim was, Jim was spectacular. He was 20 some years, my senior. And um, I had a company where we hired him to come in and do what he does which is what i do today and uh i said we're going to spread you all over the united states in my company and i need to go visit those places too so we'll go and do it together and uh that's how our relationship grew he was the master uh and uh uh he's since passed away but he brought me under his wing and, and gave me uh the ability to fly high and soar uh but uh I, that that first thing, that first speaking gig was some gig. Uh, I was hired as the backup speaker um, because I, some speaker bureau found me and said, "You looks like you talk about leadership. Uh, you live in La Jolla. The gig is in La Jolla, and uh, and the speaker we hired has the right to pull out within forty eight hours." Uh, I never heard of such a thing, and um, and they wouldn't tell me who it was. And uh, I got the call within 48 hours and said, you're on in front of 600 people. And I thought I bombed. Like, I, I wanted to give the client the money back and all of that type of thing. I just felt like it was horrible. And then I got a testimonial letter from the client saying, you knocked the ball out of the park and you were better than what we would have ever anticipated, blah, 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 blah. It's the only testimonial letter in my office that I have hanging up. Uh, and you know, I've gotten thousands of them since then, but I said, it, it, can you tell me now who, who I sub for? And they said, yeah, um, Bill Clinton. And it was when he was running for president the first time. So he found a bigger group uh, and he fits the group I had. So if they had told me I was filling in for Bill Clinton, I, I wouldn't have shown up. <laughs> It's it's classic. I think I think there's two parts to it though. I mean, you you said in the book how you wanted to give the money back. You felt terrible, but you also spoke to your mentor and he calmed you down. He's like, just wait for their feedback. It doesn't matter how you feel. Just wait until you see. And it's that calming, you're relaxing, having that mentor. And as I was thinking, I was wondering for other people who want to get into the game that you're in, who want to get into the public speaking game. How how tough is it? I mean. What does it take? And it's it's it is tough. Uh, I, I referred to you myself, just saying that you you just saying that for the first two years, I nicked my nicknamed myself the starving speaker. Uh, <laughs> I, I worked six days a week, twelve hours or more a day, and yeah. um, and a paid gig was an infrequent occurrence. Uh, it took me about three years to get my stride. Uh, once I got my stride and figured myself out, then it was then it was fine. Uh, yeah. but, but you know, there's an awful lot of people out there uh, competing in that space, and yeah. an awful lot of gigs get booked based on referral. Uh, and so you've got to have a referral network. And if you're brand new, it's difficult to crack the code, right? Yeah, I can see how you worked out really well. I mean, I think we've spoken a couple of times before this, but uh, you know, I've researched you and watched you on YouTube, and there was, um, I, I don't know, just everything about you is—it's so authentic. So it's almost like it's a—it's a bit of a dream because what you say is actually what you do, um, and 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 more than that. And so I think the one story that you told, there was two that really stood out for me. The one was how when you went to go see a client, 
and then you emailed them as soon as you'd left the building in the car, you're messaging them. And I think that that's uh, your action orientated. So you've got the mindset, but you've also got that action to deliver. And it almost seems the relationships you've built up, I can see why you've done so well. And it's not just because how good you are, but it is because you've also built your reputation. Yeah, I, I, you just hit on something, Ralph, that's really important. Um, success leaves clues. Yeah. Um, uh, build a process based on best practices. So uh, what I hear an awful lot of people say, and I was a business owner and CEO, uh, that people, generally speaking, are slow to follow up or terrible at follow up. Um, so how can I differentiate myself from somebody else out there? Well, I won't go any further than the parking lot without texting or emailing somebody, thanking them for their time and reconfirming what we agreed on is to happen next. I haven't even left the building where I met them. And then I also have this thing called a money bag, which there's a, a YouTube video out on how to I've, use I've it. watched it. And, I've watched it. And, and it, you know, it's just about having everything you need to write a handwritten note. And I put in the mailbox before I leave the premises so in hopes they get the note the next day. Uh, they've already heard from me more than the guy that they're doing business with today. Uh, and I haven't even left the building type of thing. And the number of people that have said to me, I'm, I'm hiring you because of your proactive communication. So so it just becomes a process for me. Uh, I wouldn't, yeah. I, I, you know, we don't think about brushing our teeth in the morning or in the evening because we, it's become a process. And we, we, we would be uncomfortable getting up in the morning and not brushing our teeth. I would be uncomfortable making a sales call without doing what I just said. It's just a process. It's best practice. Yeah. But you, you, you kind of say that, but then um, th there's this uniqueness about you because the other story I was going to talk around is when you're a 16-year-old who obviously is struggling and, you, and you're working in, in a grocery shop. When you say I'm struggling. Well, maybe not. Maybe you're a student who's in a grocery shop, but I don't, I don't know. I'm assuming, yeah. Well, I, you, know, you haven't got your own business then. The, the, gross, the grocery business was great for me. Uh, yeah. I, I went in there pushing carts, and um, they, they had 11 cart boys. And I'm going, it's not sustainable. They're going to get it down to two. I better hustle uh, and show the manager I'm a keeper. And he did whittle the staff down of cart boys to two. And then all I said was, you know what? If you hustle, if you've got work ethic, People will take notice and you'll stand out from the pack. And so within two years in that store, uh, I was named the assistant store manager, had higher fire responsibility over 200 people at 18 years old. Uh, yeah. Great, great, great uh, learning lab for me in my, you know, my future. And I was still in uh, high school slash college uh, and getting all of that education uh, and getting paid a high dollar amount because it was union. Uh, so, uh, the, gosh, my type, my days in the grocery business were fantastic. Yeah, I think it was that, but it was that the story of the lady who came in to buy some spinach. Oh. And uh, uh, yeah, that's the one I want to talk around because <laughs> there's someone who's using initiative and um, not scared. It's like you got this courage. Yeah. Everything you do is about being courageous. And and I heard once that the mind can't, it was maybe Napoleon Hill CDA, the mind can't have courage and fear in the same place. It's one or the other. You know, uh, so so for the listener, now that we've teed up the spinach lady, but <laughs> some, some older woman is standing in the spinach aisle having an animated and negative conversation with the vegetables. And I come over and said, how can I help you? And she said, there's no spinach. I came in for spinach. And so uh, I said, how long are you going to be here? She said, 30 minutes. So I said, I'll have the spinach for you. I ran out in the parking lot, got in my car, drive two miles, bought six bags of spinach from the competitor, saw her in the line when I got back to the store. And I said, how many bags would you want? And she said, I just need one. And I said, take two. They're on us as a gift. We appreciate your patronage to our store. Now, if we freeze frame that, uh, uh, there are companies existing today, uh, that, that's 50 years ago, existing today that that employee might be fired 
because they didn't have authority to do what I just did. And had I been fired, it would have been a good moment because it would have shortened my time in a company that I am not consistent with from a value standpoint. I said to myself, if the owner was standing in front of this woman and started in front of the empty spinach tray, what would the owner do? And I think the owner would have gone and bought the spinach at a competitor and give it away. Right. For sure. so, so you've got to, I think you've got to take some risk uh, along the way. Uh, and, and, and the downside uh, is negligible. Uh, the upside is significant. Right. And there's a theme in my answers here. And that is I'm trying to think of ways to be different than everyone else. If you compete uh, the same way your competitors compete, then the customer has a difficulty determining who to go with. So mm. the, what they'll tend to do is go with the guy with the lower price. So you get into price competitiveness. But if you differentiate yourself, it makes it difficult to compare price because look at the exceptional service. That woman in the produce aisle, I'm convinced, shopped there for the rest of her life. Uh, because of that single incident. I bet she went and told friends of hers and family of hers. Uh, we probably drove all kinds of business in because of that. I, I think I'm trying to figure out why I like you so much. And I, and I think it's because um, it's not rocket science. It's not things that other people can't execute if they have the desire to do it. And I was trying to string it all together after reading the different books. And it's almost come to me now. It, 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 it feels like um, you knew what the customer wanted. And it seemed like growing the businesses, because I'm also in awe of how you grew these companies from zero to like whatever, hundreds. And I think that's special in itself as well. And, and the emphasis that you put on culture and people to deliver that innovation and that level of service, I think I, there's something innate that 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 is so simplistic, but it's so, I don't know, it, it, it's crazy. Um, I, here's the simplicity of it, Ralph. Can you just switch hats with the other party? Can you be the customer? At all, all times, if you were that person, how would you want to be treated? Uh, it, it, it's so simple to me. Uh, whenever I find myself interacting with customers, I, I am empathic to where their heads are. Uh, and, you know, look, people don't want to be sold. Uh, our, our job really is help people to buy. Uh and so if, if, we, if we take that mindset, it's, okay, how can I help this individual with their problem or their opportunity or whatever the, their pain, whatever they're trying to, to deal with, is my company and product or service something that could help them out? And, and then how would I want to be treated? Uh, yeah. And if I can marry those two, it's game set match. I, yeah. I, you know, I, I, and again, unfortunately, I don't think that that's common. Uh, yeah, that's the problem, right? It's it's like I, the things you're saying are so simple. It's weird because how many people are doing? I mean, in the book, you talk around, you know, Southwest. You talk about Virgin. You talk around um, Zappos. So there's not a lot of people doing it. And and I was going to wonder why is that? I mean, you've been doing the speaking. You've been sharing these insights, sharing these lessons. What's the struggling moment for these individuals or these organizations? What, what do you well, think I'll give, is... I'll give, I'll give you one of the comments that I hear from my audiences a lot of times. And it's an indictment on the senior level people in the firm. Um, what, what people will come up to me at a break and say, my boss should be at this session. <laughs> and it doesn't matter what level they're at in the organization. They could be... A vice president, an executive vice president, uh, the owner should be here. My owner should be here. My CEO should be here. My manager should be here. I, I hear that all the time. So somehow people are getting to a leadership position and suppressing uh, the workforce instead of liberating. Them. Are they getting uh, comfortable? Is, is that what it is? They're too comfortable and they're not being stretched themselves. Uh, 
some of that is true, I'm sure. Yeah. And and so what do you see ways of fixing that? I mean, do you do you have some ideas of how I mean, apart from reading your book? Look, uh, you know, at the sake of repeating, uh, look, take risk, take a chance. Yeah. Don't don't be don't don't be crazy about it. (laughs) But 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 uh, hey, what's the worst thing that could happen? Uh, Okay, I'm going to do that. So I, I, I ran out of the store and bought the spinach. The worst thing that can happen is I come back and they fire me. Well, uh, I'm 17 years old. Uh, I got a lot of life left and I'm going to go find some firm that would appreciate uh, that. Uh, and, and quite frankly, when I interview, uh, I'm going to tell them that story up front and say, uh, here's, what, here's why I got fired. Is your store like that? Because I don't want to work here if it is. Uh, Look at this. Woody Allen had this incredible comment that he made, and I share it with my audiences all the time. He said, if you see an angry mob coming towards you, get in front and call it a parade. Uh, (laughs) And so when ugly things are happening, find a way to turn them into an advantage for you, right? Yeah, I think that's it. It goes back to that mindset that you talked about earlier. So, I mean, you come with that optimistic, I think you call yourself an optimist by, by nature. Do you yeah, think it is that, is it that, that growth mindset versus that fixed mindset? Yeah, well, you're, you're referring to the book Mindset by Carol DeWick, which yeah. I couldn't endorse strong enough for people. That's one of the best books out there. But let me tell you a story that happened just last week in Chicago. Uh, I, I took people through, it was about life by design. I took people through um, the fact that uh, two months ago, I got to ring the bell at the hospital and be declared cancer free. But I was fighting. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I was fighting malignant melanoma for two years. The first time they cut the top of my head off about the size of the palm of my hand and they declared me cancer free. And eight months later, it came out of my neck. So they put me in a 54-week program in the cancer center with lots of drugs going in me and so forth. Um, and, you know, and, and thank God I'm cancer-free. So I told that story in the presentation. Afterwards, we had uh, tables of eight at lunch. And somebody said uh, to me, unrelated to that, that story, they just said, gosh, you're, you're so disciplined about your life. Mm. What happens when you get sick? And you can't follow the process or you can't get your goal achieved. And I said, well, quite frankly, I'm a really healthy guy. I take good care of myself. And in the three years that my new wife and I have been married because I lost my first wife to cancer, I said, in the three years that Karen and I have been together, uh, I, I haven't been sick. And, and this guy slams his hand on the table and he says, did you hear what you just said? He said, you, you said you haven't been sick in the last three years. You just told us an hour ago in your presentation, you fought cancer for two years. And, <laughs> I, like, and I, 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 it dawned on me. He said, that's evidence of an unbelievable growth mindset. You didn't think of yourself as sick. And he's right. I never thought of myself as sick. I would think of sick as being I threw up in the morning or I had diarrhea or something like that, a bellyache. I couldn't go to work one day. Uh, uh, two years, I'm just dealing with cancer and doing what the doctors tell me. I, I didn't have any other impacts negatively on my behavior. Uh, the first year I was in the cancer program, I ran five marathons. I mean, I'm good, right? And wow. this guy says, that is a competitive advantage for you to suffer through that cancer program and in your mind not have it lodged as being sick. The majority of people would have said, I'm really sick, and they would have kind of rolled over, right? For sure. So, I mean, I mean, your goals are crazy. Um, I think, you know, life by design, what do you achieve with those marathons, with the triathlons? Um, it, I mean, I want to get into it because it is crazy. I mean, what you've done, it just cannot be yeah, so, you know, underestimated. So, so let's do that. So watch this. So I ran my first marathon, 42K, uh, at 46 years old. And, um, and my goal was to go sub four hours. 
So I got cramps at mile 17 and it affected my run for the rest of the way in. And I ended up at about 420. So, all right, I want to get, I, I finished, but I want to get sub four. So I'm going to look for a close race on the calendar. So three months later, I find a race and I went sub four. And so check the box on my bucket list. I got the marathon under four hours. But then I thought, you know, this is really keeping me healthy to train for a marathon each year. So I'm going to run a marathon each year. So I, that's what I did for 10 years. And I, ran, I live in California. I ran all but one in California. And on my fourth Los Angeles marathon, my 10th overall after 10 years, a guy ran by me and he had a shirt on the back and he said, I ran a marathon in all 50 states. So I caught back up with him. And I said, tell me about this 50 state thing. And he said, there's an internet club, the 50 state marathon club. And I'm going, no kidding. So I went back home and I looked on the internet and joined the club and said, okay, I'm going to go after 50 states. Then I started seeing similar people out there in different states. And one of the guys says, hey, are you doing the seven continents? And I'm going, what's that? And he goes, we're running marathons in all seven continents. So I said, wait a second, Antarctica? He goes, yeah, Antarctica. Like, We've got to be careful what people tell you, Jack, because you're just going to do everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so then I do the Antarctica and the seven continents, and by that time I had about eighty marathons finished. And I'm going, gosh, I'm only twenty from a hundred. Wouldn't it be neat to do a hundred and have my hundredth be on the original marathon in Athens, Greece? And that's what I raced last November for my when we first spoke. Athens. Yeah, uh, I didn't start out by saying. Hey, let's run 50 stage, seven holidays, <laughs> a hundred marathon. Like, like that's insane. But yeah, but you can you can you can kind of get sucked in, right? Um, yeah, but but I like the beginning of that story because it probably resonates with the non-marathon runners, the people who want to do it. And that was when you at your office and they asked you to do a one mile and then the very next day a five mile. And so it's funny how the the achievement of all those races are so profound and inspiring, but actually it's so relatable, the beginning part. And that was that you went and did this one miler, you gassed it, you did the five miler, you paced a bit better, but it took you a year before you did another race. Yeah, yeah and, absolutely. Yeah. And it took you a year to do another race, and that was a five miler again. And the funny thing for me was, I was wondering, so what got this started? And it seemed that doing it for others is a bit like what you do now, where you're speaking, your books. It seems that this ability to raise funds and do things for other people seems to drive you more than the things you want to do. So it's just that you got hooked on it. Yeah, you know, I, I, look, my wife, uh, I met Bonnie, my first wife, at 16. She was 15. And we had 52 years together, 47 of them married. And when she got uh, pancreatic stage four cancer in February of 17, um, in March, I got solicited by the Jimmy Valvano Foundation to raise money running a marathon in New York City for mm. cancer. And uh, and I, I said to Bonnie, look, they, they were asking me to race. And uh, but I was hesitant to go anywhere. I, I just wanted to be with her. And um, I looked, I looked up when the race was, and it was November 5. November 5 was the exact date that I met Bonnie in my life at 16 years old. And I said, this is a sign from something. I I'm supposed to run this. And she said, I agree. And by the time it got there, November 5, well, here's the sad part. She passed away on November 11. But November 2, I've got to go to New York from California if I'm going to run the race. And I said to her, I'm not comfortable leaving because I don't know how many days you have left. And she turned to me and she said, too many people have donated. We, we raised over $280,000. Wow. Said, too many people have invested in us. She said, go run the race. I'll wait for you to get back. She didn't say, I'll wait for you to get back and then die. But that's really what she said. She said, yeah. Um, and um, I'm so sorry, I, Jack. Yeah. I came back on Monday after the race and the doctor said, we need to take her off of her, everything and let her go. And, you know, five days later she passed. I'm so um, sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, doing good and raising money and getting awareness. I mean, uh, absolutely. I mean, what yeah. a joy 
uh, yeah. to help other people, right? Yeah, and and I think you do that with your books as well. Is you're inspiring people, and I saw that so many messages. And your best friends, in fact, it's funny. Like they say that the five people you spend the most time with, but your friends have certainly benefited from being inspired. But but I want to talk around the book now. So, so hyper growth for sale. I'm um, sorry, hyper sales growth. And, and I suppose the one part I want to touch on really is because we we often think about sales, and you've had the sales thing. You're a sales leader. You've grown a company. You've you've you know grown yourself but it seems to me this this attribute that's it's like magic is this culture attribute that you you sort of recognize and you place a lot of value on yeah so so let's marry something up here that's a great way uh to do this Ralph. uh when i went to the grocery store business as a 17 year old uh it, it, the manager made it sort of fun uh, as long as you worked hard, you had a lot of liberties and there was just a lot of fun. And so work was fun. Uh, and then I graduated uh, with my bachelor's degree in accounting and went to work for what was called a big eight accounting firm, Arthur Anderson, very prestigious firm. And um, it was boring. Like I'm commuting to get there 30 miles, come home 30 miles. And in between, I'm there and I'm bored. And it's it's like I want to go to sleep. Uh, it's not fun. Uh, it's drudgery. Uh, is this what my life's going to be like the rest of my life? Is I'm now an adult and I'm successful, but it's just penal. And, uh, and so I left there. And then I went to another firm and it was worse than it was. <laughs> before and i was watching people celebrating 50 years in the company and getting a watch and i'm going oh my god my future's in front of me this is terrible i don't want to be that guy oh please what do i do and i found this other company that was a fortune 200 company but they had a little startup and they were looking for an accounting guy to go and start up this little company inside the big company well the little company they left us alone and it got to be fun and eventually, uh, seven years after, uh, I was the CEO of that company, uh, and it had grown into about 800 employees. And we were doing business nationwide, and we were financing 12,000 homes a year. And, uh, and, and, and when I was the CEO, I said, I'm going to create a company where everybody has fun. We're going to enjoy what we do. And so we did all of this wacky crazy stuff uh and uh at, at three o'clock in the afternoon there was a song called bang the drum the weekend's about to come and it's from three to three fifteen we'd encourage everybody everybody put their boom box on and play the song and people were dancing and sliding on slippery boards and all this crazy stuff i got one of these football or like a, not a football helmet but a, a, a construction worker helmet with uh two two uh, holders on either side for beer cans and you got a nozzle there and I'm, I'm walking around dancing and stuff we had guys from wall street that would visit us on friday at three o'clock just to see if the rumor was true that this very successful financial company had the ceo with a beer on his head the company the company in its first three years made 42 million dollars in profit uh, yeah. while having fun, right? And yeah. so I want to create a business where people don't get up and say, I've got to go to work, but they say, hi, damn, I get to go to work at that company. Yeah. If you can create that kind of a culture, you have a competitive, sustainable advantage, right? Yeah. And so that's, that's what the whole section in hyper sales growth on culture is about. Yeah. Recognition, communication, empowerment, personal and professional development. How can I make employees feel like, my goodness, I want to refer other people to come work here. I want to get my family here. I want to get my friends here. Like, this is a great place to work. And so, you know, today, we, 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 you know, we've got the great resignation and quietly quitting and all of these things that describe people that are not into what they're doing. Well, I think that they're not into what they're doing because they're like the companies that I was working for right out of school. They're, 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 they're jobs. They're, they're, they're penal. I mean, let, let, let's lighten up. 
Let's make it fun. I think I think it's that, but also um, it seems that their priorities are slightly skewed. So they almost are in trying to make the money, the hyper growth, focusing on the customer, but they're missing an ingredient. And and it's and it's weird because you get this contradictory sort of information. But the entrepreneurs, the business leaders who are investing in their people and putting their people first have got a definite massive advantage and Zappos Southwest those are the guys Virgin those are the ones that are doing like you said a, a brave and so when I'm reading it, I'm like yes 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 um, but it, it's a mindset right Jackie it really is that belief my people are more important than my customers and uh, let, let, let me tell you about this client of mine uh, when they started with me they were two locations, Vancouver, British Columbia, and Toronto. And the company is called 1-800-GOT-JUNK. They come to your business or home, pick up the junk, put it on the truck, and take it to the dump. And they charge a fee for that, right? So Brian Scudamore is the founder. Now that company is approaching $700 million in annual sales. It's the largest junk com removal company in the world. Brian is in charge of the culture as the founder of the company. And one of the ideas I shared with them was um, making employees' dreams come true. Uh, mm. And so he allocates a six-figure number annually to help employees' dreams come true. Like, do you want to go to work there? Uh, he looks at the list of people's dreams and in the morning says, I wonder if I could... Make somebody's dream come true today. And so it might be an employee that says they've got a seven-year-old uh, girl that wants to have the princess breakfast at Disney World, but it's too far for them to go. And, you know, it's too expensive. Well, I mean, 1-800-GOT-JUNK can write a check for a couple thousand bucks and send her and her mom to Disney World for three days and be a princess. Uh, by the way, does that employee speak fondly about the company? Uh, do they send other people to go there? Uh, if, if Brian said, hey, I need you to work extra hours on Saturday, is there any complaining? No, it all works well together, right? Yeah. Uh, gosh, let's find, you know, Tony Shea did it at Zappos, delivering happiness. He just wanted to create a company where the employees were happy. And that's what For he did. Sure. For sure. It's like, I think you mentioned it when, when people leave, we throw a party, but why aren't we throwing a party when they arrive? Why aren't we, you know, that, that first couple of days, I mean, there's so many, I think that I said earlier, there's so many pearls of wisdom. So, so many simple things to adjust. You're not spending more money. You're not wasting lots of time. It really is really simple and you don't have to do all of it, but you've got like 20 different ideas for each of those processes and actually realize it's logical. It's just like you said, it's putting yourself in their shoes. If you're an employee and you get the first day of work and you're getting burdened with processes and no one's talking to you, you're not going to enjoy it. Would I want to come to work here? What, 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 like, why doesn't the leadership ask that question every day? If, if I were a, an everyday employee, would I be looking forward to coming into work today? Uh, it, it's that simple. For Maybe sure. So, okay, so we talked a bit about culture because I think if you don't have the culture right, the rest of the stuff doesn't really matter, right? You're going to struggle. It's it's like, yeah, I think they said you can put a leader in a bad company, a great leader in a bad company, and you're just going to have a bad company. Peter Drucker said it better than anybody on the planet. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yeah. That's it. Now, if you get the culture right, everything else starts to get easier, right? Um, uh, so here's what I hear, Ralph. I hear business leaders all, all the time talking about this. Our people are the most important thing. What differentiates us from everybody else is our people. Our culture is terrific. Now, if I would challenge the leadership of companies, I would say, look, I'm going to take 100% of your time, and I want you to divide that 100% into five buckets. One bucket is how much time you spend as a leader on revenue generation. I'm not asking you to be a salesperson. But strategically, what are you doing on the revenue side of the house? What percent of 100% of your time? Second, the operations side of the house. So we got the first bucket was the promise makers. The second one is the promise keepers. 
So like supply chain issues, how much are you getting involved in helping solve the supply chain issue, right? The third area is how much time are you spending in the financial side of the house? We, we don't want to be doing all this work and not make money. So you got to make sure that you stay on the numbers, right? The fourth bucket is strategic. How much time are you spending on the strategy of what you're doing so that you're viable going forward? And then the last bucket is culture. Now, when I ask CEOs to divide their hundred up and they do it honestly, the bucket mm. with the least amount of time in is culture. So yeah. they speak a good speak. Our people are the most important. Cultures are differentiator. You know, but they're not spending the time there. So I'm calling bullshit on that. And and is that just by because they're not designing their life appropriately for their business, or is that because they don't know what to do, or is it something else? I think that they're. I think that they view it as um, they don't know what to do. It's not that important. No things things are more important that they're working on in the other four buckets. Let, let me yeah, do it this yeah. way. Watch this way. People and companies tend to underperform to their capabilities because we rush, we rush to the urgent at the expense of the important, right? So so recognition systems, important but not urgent. Communication systems, important but not urgent. Personal development, important, but not urgent. Empowerment, important, but not urgent. So I think the leadership is running around doing the urgent things at the expense of the important. Uh, uh, you know what? I would, uh, uh, I would rather write handwritten notes to employees saying, thanks for all your hard work, and mm. slipping them on their desk before they get in in the morning than doing something on this thing. Uh, whatever it is, uh, I, I love. I, I, if I can make our employees such that they're excited about going to work, they're the ones that do the work. Yeah. So I create the environment that enables them to be better at work. For sure, it's 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 crazy, right? So I mean, that just comes back to planning as well, and knowing yourself and your strengths, and and building that team up appropriately. If. If 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 it if it isn't in your wheelhouse as a business leader, find some folks that it is. So if I go back to one eight hundred got junk, Brian is terrific at vision and culture. He's horrible at execution. <laughs> He's horrible. I hope he doesn't culture. listen to this. <laughs> oh, he knows. We we're, no, we he knows. So so as the owner CEO. He has an organization chart called Two in a Box. And Eric Church is the other guy in the box who's terrific at the execution operation side, right? And so they work in tandem. So Brian isn't encumbered with weighed down by all of the operational things. Uh, uh, here's hyper sales growth. And here's yeah. a comment. Here's a comment by Brian Scudamore, the founder of 1 800 Got Jump. No one person's mentorships and teachings have had a bigger ongoing impact on the sales growth of one under got junk than Jack Daly. And that's because I'm with him regularly saying, well, how about if we create this kind of thing so that the employees are excited? And you, you could not go to their corporate office in Vancouver and walk out and not want to work there. You, like, you, yeah. you just look at the place and go, the vibe is like, yeah. God, this is different, right? Their the daily stand-up. They've got a, a thing on YouTube of their daily stand-up. It is freaking awesome. I mean, it and he's not even doing it. The, the staff are doing the daily stand-up with all the figures. It's freaking awesome. It yeah. really is inspiring, eh? Yeah, and, and, and they do it in the room with the dream board. Uh, yeah, that's it. The dream board's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I mean, and the company has had their dream board, not just the dreams of employees. Like he, he saw, you know, he had a dream that he wanted to be on Oprah Winfrey. Uh, what's a what's a junk company going to get on Oprah Winfrey? <laughs> Not on Oprah Winfrey. Then he had another dream that he wanted to have the company name on a Starbucks cup of coffee. He pulled it off. Like, how do you do with these dreams? Well, uh, put them out there in the universe and see what can get done. And yeah. It's, 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, it, it was weird because I also saw a video of Simon and they asked him about bucket lists and he said, yeah, he feels that bucket lists are really important. But what's also important is gratitude lists to look back at the things you've achieved. And I mean, you have achieved some pretty phenomenal things. I mean, when we last spoke, you've done the marathons in the Wall of China. I think the one that impressed me probably the most was um, flying a jet plane. You just put it out there. I, I mean, what can I say? A guy went on my website. He saw my bucket list. It said I want to fly a jet fighter plane. And he had bought one from the U.S. Air Force. And he sent me a photo and said, would this qualify? I said, absolutely. He goes, we just need to pick a day and a time and find an airport to land this thing in. I'll pick you up. And off we, off we went, right? So it's all in here, right? And and I think what was, for me, the, the insight was that you, you then document all of the like your goals so how many trips you did how many miles you traveled the, the funny i was i wasn't quite sure because it said there um how many days you trained how many hours you trained but the one i was a bit unsure of was how many days you drank wine so i wasn't sure if you wanted to drink more wine <laughs> oh, were you trying to stop yourself because of training yes so it's the latter so yeah Here's the issue. In my goals, it says I have to have more exercise days than wine drinking days. That's okay. Number two is I have to be below a certain weight level in order yeah. to drink the wine. Otherwise, I'm going to drink every day and we're going to have <laughs> an alcohol problem with Jack Bailey. Right? So we've got a governor on it. Uh, oh, and let me take you back. The book. But there's there's yeah. the, the photo of me doing the airplane. Yeah, uh, I, I, like the guy handed me the controls to a jet fighter plane. I have no flying instructions. Are you freaking kidding me? Right? Um, That's awesome. So, so here's the thing, though. When I wrote the book, Ralph, I was really sensitive to are are people going to start reading this and going, well, I'm 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 40 or 50. Uh, you know, I, I wish I had the book when I was 20. Uh, and so I have a whole chapter in the book of older people that didn't mm. get started until later in life, right? Uh, you know, and so Colonel you know, Sanders. Yeah, Colonel Sanders was like in his 80s before Kentucky Fried Chicken took place. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Julia Child and Martha Stewart and uh, Grandma Moses and like all of these people didn't really get going until they were in their 40s and 50s. So there's plenty of life out there. Uh, I, I don't know whether you picked it up. You've done a really good job of reading my books. Uh, but uh, on my bucket list is my intention to live to 125 years old. And wow. that's been on there since I was 28. And what sure. I said when I was 28 was if I lead a healthy life between 28 and 75, by then medical science we'll figure out how to take me to 125. But if I hand them a broken down 75-year-old man, they won't inject the science, right? So here I am at 73, soon to be 74, and uh, and people are not laughing at 125 these days like they did when I was 28 years old, right? So, you know, I, I, look, if I don't make it to 125, no big, but... Uh, I'm living like I'm going to live to 125, and I'm sucking the marrow out of life, as Ralph Waller Emerson would have said. For sure, you are. So, I, I mean, w one of the things that also was quite surprising was it's not just the amount of marathons you did and triathlons and the training and the speaking engagements, but how do you pull it all together? Because we've all traveled, we've all gone through time zones, we've all had intentions, we've all been fit um and done races internationally but to keep that up i, I mean did, did you have any sort of and, and i think why it's important because it's not ideal situation it's not like you can form a habit it's not like you've got the triggers it's not like you're in the place every time you're going to a different location but yet you and a different time zone and you're feeling probably not like you're getting your eight hours i'd imagine that's also a struggle i know it's a goal so you've got these different different foods, and so that can also you know make challenges. So how did you keep that those those triggers of that consistency with the training? Is the yeah. is the question so, I, I wondered. So so we're back to the book mindset again. Uh, we truly are. 
I don't I don't I don't believe there's time zone fatigue. I I, I don't it just doesn't exist for me. Uh, I I I I'll always find something to eat that will be healthy. Uh, no matter what country that I'm in, uh, I'll, I'll be very particular about what I do choose to eat. Uh, because I want to live to 125. Uh, but here, here, let's use this as an example. I just came back from three weeks in Australia. So I flew from Los Angeles at midnight and uh, the, got on the plane. We're up in the air for an hour and they served some wine and a full dinner. And so here I am at two o'clock in the morning uh, having dinner and wine. And then I turned the the movie on and decided to watch a movie. And somewhere during the movie, I fell asleep and I slept for about eight hours. By then, um, they were starting to get breakfast ready. And we had some breakfast and then the plane landed. And it was 14 hours that we were up there. And I got off the plane. It was seven o'clock in the morning in Sydney. Uh, we got to the hotel, it was eight o'clock, and I unpacked my running shorts and shirt and said, eight o'clock in the morning is a good time to take a run. I'm going to go run soon. And so I took a 10K run and got back, and I felt like I'd been there the whole time. Like, I, I didn't think, what time is it in L.A.? Should I be tired? Like, what am I going to do that for? I mean, I feel yeah. good. Let's go, right? Um, yeah, it's, it's in the head. Look, so my, my wife Karen was coming home from work and she's got this drive of 40 miles and uh, and and I, I called her and said what time are you going to expect to get home and she said I should be home in about 30 minutes and I said how was your day and she said Jack I had a bad day and I turned to her and said why would you choose to have a bad day and there was this big pause and then she goes I didn't choose it and I went actually you did um, you get to choose what you put in between your ears. Don't let people with negative attitudes in. So from this day forward, I would tell you, let's not have bad days anymore. Let's choose to have nothing but good days. So she got home half hour later. She walked in the house and she said, hugged me, kissed me and said, you're awesome. I'm never having a bad day again. There you go. And I think I think on that note, it, it was almost like a last question, really, before we wrapped up. But I think there's a lot happening in the world. There's a lot of people are looking at different situations. First, it was COVID. Now there's all sorts of challenges. And um, we always got reasons why we can't grow our sales, why we can't grow our business. And you believe that, right? Oh, uh, look, focus precedes success. The only thing that I'm going to stay focused on is things that I have control of. And I'm not going to sweat anything I don't. So I failed science in school. So what does that tell you? I will not have a cure for COVID. I won't be creating a vaccine. So I don't have to have a discussion about the vaccine and when's it going to be around and should I take it? I, I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to create it. So I got 168 hours every week gifted to me. That's what we all get. Seven, seven days times 24 hours. I have to be very judicious and guarded about what I do with my 168. I'm not going to waste my 168 on things I don't have control of. I'm going to focus on that, which I have control of, and I'm going to move the ball down the field, and hopefully I'm going to score. And, and at the end of the day, I'm going to feel like I put in a good effort and I'm going to give myself a reward and have myself a glass of wine as long as my weight is done. <laughs> good stuff. That's amazing. Well, I'm glad you've beat cancer. Congrats to that. And thanks so much for sharing the books and your time with us. It has been amazing. So all the best for this holiday coming up and for next year. Thanks hey, so yeah, much, Jack Davey. I, I, I want to make sure that... Uh, I get this in in the hands of a lot of other people um, because I think this was a great hour that we just spent. Oh man, it was amazing, and I've been really looking forward to it. Probably since that, like before we spoke a year ago, 
And that was a bit of a disaster. I do apologize. But I think for the longest time before that, I've been looking and following what you've been doing. So it's really also a great honor for for us to be able to share what you do, because I think it's so inspiring. And, and I was thinking, you know, we, we're in our little bubble in Africa, but to take some of the pearls, the simple pearls that you can apply from the successes there here, um, and you really are an awesome person and so inspiring. So thank you so much. I look forward to meeting you live and in person. We will. We said Hawaii. I've got I've got Maui on my computer, the sticker on my computer, but um, lots of goals. Thanks, Jack. Bye.